This is the Santita Jackson Show. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Hope that you all are on your way to a wonderful weekend. Friday, November 18th, 2022. Waking up to a winter wonderland here in Chicago. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio. The voice of progressive Minnesota. We're going to have snow flurries today. It is already snowing and I wish you could see my snow boots. I'll show them to you during the break. <laughs> I'm ready for them. I jumped out the mothballs. I don't care if I smell like mothballs today. Because I am ready for the wintertime here in the Midwest. Ready for it. Ready for it. And it's going to be a tough one, everybody. WCPT, 8, WCPT 820 is my home station. AM 950 Radio, my home station in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Of course, WCPT is the largest progressive talk radio station in the country. Tell everyone about us, the Heartland Signal. That's some of the best programming in the world. Of course, Amy Goodman and Tom Hartman and Stephanie Miller. And, hello, we have got Joni and, uh, and Patty Vasquez. Joni Esposito and Patty Vasquez in the afternoons. And then Rick later on in the evenings. You don't want to miss the best progressive talk in the country. Please meet my morning stars over here on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Everybody, please tell people about us. Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and AM 950, excuse me, I'm streaming on WCPT820.com, AM950radio.com, and on the Santita Jackson uh, and Friends page. That is where I can take friends, everybody. I can't take friends anyplace else. They cut you off. They cut you off. So I don't want you to be cut off. I don't want you to be cut off. So please meet me on Twitter, at Santita J. Please become my friend there, at Santita J. So let's get to it. Today... We are not through with these midterms. Nope, 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 nope. So we're going to be talking about what it's going to take for Raphael Warnock to pull out a win as more and more voter restrictions are in place in Georgia. That's right. This is where we're going to see the laws that were pushed by the secretary of state and the governor. And really, indeed, Brian Kemp, the the governor, who was the secretary of state. These are the laws that he put into place that make it harder for you to vote. There are fewer times for you to vote, fewer places, and we're going to be talking about that today. And what is the winning strategy for Raphael Warnock in getting this crucial seat? We still need this seat in in Georgia. We still need it. So I want you to call me at 773-763-WCPT, excuse me, 773-763-WCPT. What do you think is the strategy he needs to employ? What do you think needs to happen? The Democrats need to put all, pull out all the stops and bring out all the stars? You tell me. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. 773-763-9278. And then we're going to be talking with Dr. David Gibbs at the bottom of the hour about Ukraine. What is happening in Ukraine and Poland? This could have been the beginning of of a major war. Of a major war. And, um, of course, Ukraine blamed Russia initially, and it turns out they knew that they actually fired the missile. So we need to find out what's going on here. And there's still a lot of pushback, and now NATO's saying, well, yeah, they fired the missile and killed a few people, but it's not their fault. What is going on here? What's going on here? And what is the path to peace, everybody? 
Don't want to see anyone else hurt. Don't want to see that happen anymore. So, you know, let's talk about that today. And, um, and of course, uh, let's get to some of these headlines on the Santita Jackson Show in Chicago. 29 degrees, snow flurries. There is snow on the ground here in Chicago this morning. So everybody, please bundle up. We're going to have a high of 29 degrees. It's not going to get above freezing today. And it is brr, cold. Anyone remember John Coleman from Channel 7? John Coleman. That's right. Indeed, he is one of the was one of the owners of the Weather Channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Brr, cold. Minneapolis, St. Paul, even colder, 19 degrees. Again, it'll be cloudy. God bless you up there. And let's pray for all of those who are homeless or who do not have heat in their homes. In the NFL, the Titans 27, the Packers 17. Just pulling for those Packers last night. The Magic will be playing the Bulls in the NBA. And in the NHL, the Penguins 6 and the Wild 4. Did you see Nancy Pelosi's speech last night, yesterday? Wow. It turns out she's stepping down from leadership in the House, everybody, after this historic run at being the Speaker of the House. We're going to be talking about that today. Uh, wow. She said that she will relinquish her leadership post, a move that marks the end of an era, everybody, and sets up a major shakeup for House Democrats. Indeed, you have an Hispanic, a white woman, and an African-American who are in line to be the leaders. Indeed, New York Congressman Hakeem Jeffries is set to be come the first black speaker of the House when the Democrats recapture the majority. So we're going to see how this is going to work. She, her announcement came one day after CNN and other major news outlets uh, projected that Republicans would win, win, would win control of the House of Representatives as Democrats maintain a narrow Senate majority. House Democrats appear likely to choose Hakeem Jeffries from New York and indeed, um, Steny Hoyer, uh, the House Majority Leader, said that he would step down. And House Majority Whip also said that he would step down. It's, in the, it's the end of an era, everybody, and the beginning of some new things. We pray for all of the leadership in our House and in our Senate, indeed in our government. Uh, parts of the East Coast are facing a barrage of winter weather hazards, not just the East Coast, the Midwest too, everybody. No, millions of people on the West Coast will be under fire watches. We're cold in the Midwest. They're cold on the East Coast. Everybody, please be careful. Uh, historic storms are bearing down on western New York State, bringing treacherous snowfall. It's cold here in Chicago. A state of emergency has been declared in 11 counties in New York. Now, it's an intense snowstorm, everybody. The snow is ex- snow, this, this snowstorm is expected to lash Buffalo, New York, with more than four feet of snow. Four feet. Huh. <sighs> Another employee exodus appears to be underway at Twitter after many workers rejected Elon Musk's terms for for staying with the company, according to current and former employees. This comes after Musk gave employees until Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, to commit to extremely hardcore, as he wrote, work or else leave the company. After the deadline, Twitter staffers began posting uh, the salute emoji on on an internal Slack channel, which has become a signal that someone is leaving. Employees told CNN following Thursday's exits and remaining employees received an email alerting them that Twitter's offices will be temporarily closed and badge access will be restricted through Monday, according to a copy of the email 
obtained by CNN. The Justice Department indicated in a court filing Thursday that it plans to ask the Supreme Court to reinstate President Biden's student debt relief program. Uh, The administration said we are confident in our legal authority to carry out this program and will be taking this fight to the Supreme Court so that borrowers can get the clarity and relief they deserve quickly. The loan forgiveness program remains on hold as the Biden administration continues to fight several legal challenges under the rules of the program. Eligible borrowers can receive up up to $20,000 under certain terms of relief. What do you think about that, everybody? Are you pulling for that program? Are you pulling for it? I know I am. I know I am. North Korea launched an intercontinental ballistic missile today, a test condemned as a brazen violation of U.N. resolutions by the U.S. and its allies. They launched it, everybody. 1.9 million people. What is that? That's how many people have type 1 diabetes in the United States, according to the American Diabetes Association. Men, many who are known to be at risk were thrilled on Thursday when the FDA approved its first treatment to delay the onset of type 1 diabetes. Unlike type 2 diabetes, which can be prevented with lifestyle changes like losing weight and exercising, type 1 is a genetic disease that has not had any prevention options until now. And congratulations to Democrat Karen Bass, Congresswoman Karen Bass, who is now the mayor-elect of Los Angeles. Um, She said, my message is we are going to solve homelessness. That was part of her delivery, her victory speech yesterday after being elected the first female mayor of Los Angeles. Um, and in her remarks, she vowed, as she vowed to solve homelessness, she called on voters to become part of the solution as she embarks on an effort to try to house more than 40,000 people who are living on the streets. She assumes office on December 12th. And um, these are four of the largest cities in the U.S. are led by black mayors, Chicago. Of course, Lori Lightfoot, Eric Adams in New York City, and Sylvester Turner in Houston. Congratulations to all of them. And I pray for them because, indeed, um, they've got to do more with fewer resources. That's what happens. It's like you get it, and this is what happens. Everybody, Reverend Dr. Tisha Williams is not going to be with us today. And she called me just before she got on there. She expressed her regret, um, but she's flying. And so she said, I'm not going to be able to get through security and get into a quiet place in time. And so I said, well, you know what? Let me, before I could find someone, I said, ah, let me share this with you. Let me give you some good news from my own perspective today, from my own lived experience. As I was watching Speaker Pelosi last night, I was really moved, profoundly moved. She said, I've gone from, who would have known that I've gone from homemaker to house speaker? And that I can only imagine what this young girl, whose father was this giant in American politics, who went looking like a debutante as her father introduced her to President John F. Kennedy. Very powerful political family. I wonder if she, if that 16-year-old girl knew the powerhouse that she would become. No. Women didn't have those options 60, 70 years ago. But we do today. When she went into the House of uh, House of Representatives, there were not 30 women there. Now there are uh, 90-plus Democratic women. Just inside of 40 years. That is remarkable, everybody. Remarkable. And then so she used the lessons that she learned from her dad and scaled the walls and became the biggest fundraiser that the Democratic Party has 
And then she became the House Majority Leader and then the Speaker more than once. And she did it all after the age of 40. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting to today. At the age of 47 is when she decided, after having been married for decades, having had five children, she decided that she wanted to go into politics, just like her dad. That had been a burning passion of hers. And I can only imagine the naysayers in her life who told her that, uh, you know, really, you're a little old for this, a little long in the tooth. No. She went on anyway. She ran and look at her today, making history and continuing to make it. In her 80s, working, working with a passion, working at her passion. And I want that to be one of the takeaways for all of us. It's never too late, everybody, to fulfill a vision. My pastor, Reverend Clay Evans, said, you know, I've never seen God give you a vision without making provision. That dream that you have has already come true. You're the one who has to make it happen, though. You're the one. You're the one. You're the one. So if you think that at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, that it's too late, I'm I'm too old for this, don't do that. I know my life made a complete, I made a complete change in my life. Few times, but really I made a hard turn at 40, 41. I was given the opportunity to have this weight loss surgery, which completely changed my life and changed my life options. Number one, it saved my life. But then it changed my life options because we're also in a looks-driven society, and I look very different now, and that's just how that is. But I also felt a lot of the weight, the burdens of my life lifted. And so, as they say, when the teacher's ready, the student will appear. And so in my life, I was ready. The teacher appeared, one of my dear, dear friends, an angel, in the form of Emmy Award-winning reporter, very dear friend, Renee Ferguson, called me and said, I want to be your angel. And she saved my life, told me about this surgery. And really, she and her husband, Ken Smichael, may he rest in peace, really helped to guide me into a whole new way of living. I'm not the only one. I look at my brother, Jonathan, who is about to be sworn into Congress in January. He had never expected to be going to Congress. And when people even asked him at the beginning of the year if he would consider running for Congressman Rush's seat, he said, no, he's in his mid-50s. He's like, look, my wife's about to go to, uh, to, to Kentucky and take a dream job. She heads up the, the Muhammad Ali Foundation in their museum. Our children are about to come out of college, the last two, because they're stair-step children. I'm going to do some other things with my life. I'm enjoying the work that I'm doing at PUSH as a national spokesman, serving people in that way. Well, God had some other plans for him. So many people asked him to run that he did do it. It was a people's draft, and look at, look at him now. I'm just saying to you, stay open. Stay open. And stay ready so you don't have to get ready. It's never, ever, ever too late for you to lead your life, to do something that God sent you to do that only you can do. So I just want you to know that it is, that it, re- it really is on you. I want you to get up today and approach the world with a renewed vigor. I don't care what your age is. The game is never over for you until, 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 You go back to heaven.
And that's the good news. It's never too late. Not ever too late. Keep on going. Keep on growing until God calls you home. I don't care what your age is. We're ageless. How old would you think you were if no one ever told you what age you were? Just keep on going. Keep on growing. A friend of mine told me that I looked like I was moonwalking out of this life. And I saw some pictures of myself, and I actually looked younger than I did 20 years ago. But my mind changed, and I want your mind to change. I want you to really look at becoming all that you're supposed to be. And if God gave you that vision, that dream, God has already made a way for you. God has made that provision. God doesn't give you a provision without making provision. God is too kind to be cruel and too wise to make a mistake. If you have a vision, if there's something that is on your mind and in your heart, you need to go on and do it. Do it. And it might be difficult. I didn't say there wouldn't be obstacles in your way. It might be hard. In fact, it will be. you got to have a heavy lift to build muscles. But I promise you, it will be worth it in the end. If you follow it to the end. Live your best life, everybody. And if you got a dream, live it out. Everybody, let's talk about what's happening in Ukraine. We're spending a lot of money. On average, every American, every American is spending at least, as of about a month ago, $200 on this war. And we need to know what's going on over there. What about this missile that was fired into Poland that could have kicked off the war that, that, well, at least that's what I want to avoid, but some people don't. So let's talk about that. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT, and let me know what you think about where we are right now and where you want to go. Uh, do you want to see a peaceful resolution? Do you want to see war in our time? I mean, what do you want? What do you want? Because really, it's your money. And believe it or not, uh, you're the one who really is in charge here. If you decide that this war needs to end, it will, because you won't be able to, because you'll refuse to fund it. But if you say nothing, silence is consent. So I want to know where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? And what happened with Poland? Um, and how is it that Ukraine fired the missile, but NATO is now saying, well, now first, first to the to the to the credit of the of NATO and the White House in particular. They would not jump to a conclusion. They said, let's arrive there. Let's arrive at this conclusion because we don't know what happened. Well, they found out, and I'm sure intelligence, initial intelligence told them this, that actually it was Ukraine that had fired this missile, and it was a mistake. But these mistakes can come back to haunt us. So let's talk about this, everybody, on the Santita Jackson Show. And then, you know, I want to hear from you. How can we win this seat in... Georgia, what must Raphael Warnock do to beat Herschel Walker? They needed 50, each of them needed 51, 50 point, 50% plus a vote. Neither of them got it. So it's any person's race. Brian Kemp is now about to uh, campaign with Herschel Walker, which he would not do in the primary or leading up to the general election. Um, and now uh, you... 
you're just seeing more and more people in the Republican establishment who are beginning to push for Herschel Walker. Is that going to happen with the Democrats? What do you think should happen? What will push Raphael Warnock over the top? Mm. But first, let's talk about Ukraine. I'm Santita Jackson. It's a joy to be with you today. Stay right here for more in just a few minutes. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. Oh, yes, we can. We can change the world. We can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. It is Friday, Friday, a week before Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for, everybody? I hope you're thankful for something. Thank you. I hope you're thankful for something. And I hope that for those of you who are maybe struggling through this season, I hope that someone shows you some love because you are loved from above. Remember that always. I'm Santita Jackson, WCPT 820 the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 radio, radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Those are my homes, everybody. And I want you to reach out to my, uh, come on and join my morning stars on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and the Santita Jackson and Friends Facebook page. That's where we're streaming live. But also, meet me on Twitter, at Santita J, at Santita J. Would you please friend me over there, like me, become part of the family? I hope so. And we're going to be talking with Dr. David Gibbs about the latest in Ukraine. Um, and um, let me come to you, Chaparral. Celebrations by us. I cannot wait to get those vittles next week. We are winding down for our Thanksgiving, so please call us today. Today is the last day that we are taking orders for Thanksgiving, 708-526-4546. 708-526-4546. We can definitely handle your turkey, your dressing, your mac and cheese, your greens and your green beans, as well as also your pastas and your sweets. We are doing sweet potato pies. We're doing uh, banana pudding, peach cobbler, as well as pound cakes, caramel cakes, and red velvet cakes, German chocolate cakes, whatever it is that you need for your holiday table. Don't hesitate to give us a call, 708-526-4546. 708-526-4546. We look forward to serving you. Thank you so much, Santita. I can't wait for mine. Let me add that caramel cake, girl, and then I'm done. Okay. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. My eyes got so big. Ooh. Before I go to Dr. Gibbs, I got a call from Andrew. Andrew, you said there was something Hi. that uh, about the message this morning that kind of yeah, it inspired me, Nikita. You know, uh, I'm a first-time caller, so forgive me for being just a little nervous, but a long time. Don't listener. be nervous. You're just uh, talking to me and thousands okay. of others. That sounds fair. <laughs> okay. uh, I guess officially my uh, on the ballot it is Andrew Anthony Cleaver, who's running for the 30th Ward Alderman. Uh, which basically consists of the, the neighborhoods of Belmont Cragen, Portage Park, a uh, little bit of Irving Park, a sliver of Avondale, and a dollop of, uh, let's say, uh, uh, old, uh, the old Irving Park. Excuse me. Have you ever run for office before? 
No, this is the first so, time. And your so, father inspired me. I, I grew up, sorry to say, I'm not, a, not originally from Chicago, but mm-hmm. I remember your father went out to Flagstaff, Arizona. And I was so inspired. Uh, and uh, it kind of just led, led me to uh, this path where I'm here right now. Bless so, your heart. Well, you know what? Knock on every door. Say hello to people and just have and just continue to be prayerful and have a spirit to serve people. And just know that, you know, if it's if it's on your heart, you don't know the office might not be the gift. Meeting someone might be the gift. Really, I, you know, I don't know what it is, but I know that you have to get on the path and do the work. Right. And then once you that's, do that, everything, things become clearer to you in the rearview mirror. In the meantime, you just have to keep on plowing ahead, Andrew. Would you, well, will you keep in touch? Uh, yes, you can get a hold of me at cleaver30thward at gmail.com or visit my Instagram page at uh, cleaver30thward. Uh, got a few things to say, uh, and I'll probably be calling back. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And I'm, right. glad that, I'm glad that there was something that touched you and that will keep you moving on your way. All right. Have a blessed day. Sending you much love. Dr. David Gibbs, professor of history at the University of Arizona. He has been with us uh, throughout this Ukraine conflict. And I'm so glad because he's been able to give us, I think, like the 360 degree view. You know, this is really about seeking out truth here, everybody. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. And and, And really moving toward peace. So as we are now beginning to hear discussions about maybe there, you know, maybe Zelensky's open for peace talks and and, you know, the Russians have always said that they were open for peace talks. Well, there was a missile fired into Poland and it could have sparked a hot war beyond the Cold War, really, that we are in. So what it, what happened here? I mean, the headlines are, this is not Ukraine's fault, although they fired the missiles. And the White House, uh, for their portion, they were very, very slow to react, thankfully. They said, we don't know what happened, which was kind of unusual, I have to tell you, because, you know, in this side, you know, Russia and the United States are at odds. And um, But this time they said, no, we're going to hold our fire. No pun intended. We want to see what has happened here. And it turns out that, um, well, let me just go to you, Dr. Gibbs. Why don't you tell us what happened here and why you think um, the Western powers have been, particularly NATO and the United States, have been very judicious in their reactions. They've been very, very slow and... Um, They've been inclined toward investigating. And it seems like there's been a back and forth between President Zelensky and the White House um, in particular and NATO. So talk to us. What happened? What what happened with this missile? All right. Uh, well, uh, a missile initially, the initial reports were that a missile uh, was fired into a Polish farm field, killing two Polish citizens. Um and initially, the reports, there is an AP report um, that cited uh, a, a Pentagon official, a U.S. Pentagon official, saying it was a Russian attack on Poland. Um, this was uh, echoed by the Ukrainian government, which insisted emphatically that it was a Russian missile and a Russian attack on Poland. Um, and, uh, you know, there were calls from some of the more sort of hawkish countries, most notably Estonia, 
uh, talking about you know, activating NATO security um, apparatus, um, really coming very close to almost calling for direct U.S.-NATO war with Russia, much more direct war than we've had so far, uh, basically World War III. Um, and uh, fortunately, I think, well, the bottom line is it was not a Russian missile. It was a Ukrainian missile. It was a defensive anti-missile missile that uh, went off course for some reason and landed in Poland. It was an accident of war of the sort that happens all the time in war. Um, and, you know, given that Poland is right next to Ukraine, it's not that surprising that this happened in Poland. Um, surprisingly, by the way, the Polish government, which is normally extremely hawkish, also uh, was cautious in responding to this particular crisis, maybe because, again, it was on their own uh, territory and maybe they were reluctant to actually start a hot war on their own territory. Um, in any case, um, you know, there were a couple of, there was a day or so when um, I was very worried that this could lead to, um, um, you know, a, a descent into direct NATO-Russia war, a nuclear war. There was at least a possibility of that. There was a lot of saber-rattling, at least for about a day. It did wind down, though, when it was acknowledged that this uh, clearly was not a Russian missile, and Russia didn't do it. And uh, Ukraine seemed to continue insisting it was a Russian missile long after that story had collapsed, leading to some friction with the West, where there was a direct contradiction between what Ukraine was saying, what the U.S. government and at least some of the NATO governments were saying. And that's virtually a first in this war, because until now, the United States and NATO have completely agreed with every detail of everything Ukraine has said. I should add, most of the reporting on this war which is actually the worst I've ever seen in my lifetime, literally. Most of the reporting has been based on statements by Ukrainian officials and claims by Ukraine. And people often forget that the first casualty in war, as the cliche goes, is the truth. And that's undoubtedly the case here. Um, and it's completely illogical to think that even if you support Ukraine politically, as many people do, it's illogical to think that that means everything they say is true or that they're a reliable source when they're obviously an interested party here. Um, so I think this has been an object lesson in the first place of not trusting everything Ukraine says, and that should be common sense. And I think people might be waking up to that fact now. Um, but it also underscores how easily this war could, through error and misperception, spiral into nuclear war. Um, you know, that came, we came pretty close to that a number of times during the Cold War. In 1983, there was an incident where due to an equipment malfunction in the Soviet Union, and sort of saber-rattling by the Reagan administration, um, we came very, very close to actually having an, a nuclear war due to an accident. Um, that's always a possibility, and it's very much a possibility here. And I think that uh, this, should, this incident should instill some fear uh, into people with regard to how this war is spiraling out of control. Well, and you said a couple of things that struck me. Well, several things. But let's go back here to the worst reporting that you've ever seen. Yeah. with respect to this war. The worst yeah. reporting by whom to what end? Oh, very good question. What I'm seeing here both in the European press and the American press is an almost lockstep uh, backing of every detail of the official narrative of the war that it was unprovoked, that it's not only uh, was it a illegal Russian invasion, which it clearly was, but that it was an unprovoked invasion, um, that every single thing Russia does is... Uh, evil, everything Ukraine does is pristine good. Um, that everything Ukraine says is true, everything Russia says is automatically false. Those are completely illogical assumptions. 
um, that, that are it's not really consistent with known facts. Uh, but all the same, I think that has been an almost lockstep assumption in the, in the Western media. What I'm seeing here, which I've never seen before, is usually, for example, during the war on terror, the European press was much more open to alternative points of view. Mm-hmm. And you can get a much better perspective on you know, the war situation. I mean, let's say the British or the French press. Um, than you could by reading the U.S. press. That's no longer true, and the European press on this is really as, as, as one-sided as the American press is, and it's almost entirely based on claims by Western intelligence officials, especially American and British officials, or the Ukrainian government. And again, people often forget these are interested parties with an interest in, at least in some cases, shading the truth or outright lying. And so people seem to have forgotten basic rules of evaluating evidence and basic rules of skepticism here. Um, and, you know, this, this is not, um, this is a recipe basically for disaster. We've already had a disaster. The war has already become a disaster, and it could become much worse. Um, and again, there's always the danger of nuclear war. And the press sensationalism here, I think, and the one-sided sensationalism increases that risk. Well, now the, now NATO is insisting that this is, Russia's fault, although the error was committed by Ukraine, and Ukraine has been reluctant to admit we made a mistake. Why is that? Well, you know, I I suppose once you have a propaganda line, it's very difficult to acknowledge that you've made it up, and effectively you lied to the public. And so Ukraine is, um, you know, very reluctant to sort of backtrack, backtrack on something that's clearly proven to be false. Um, in the question of um, you know, it being Russia's fault in a general sense, I suppose in a very general sense, yeah, they shouldn't have invaded. I, I think we can agree on that. Um, they should have accepted the fact that the United States was provoking them and not taken the bait. That's my view. All right. Mm-hmm. And if they hadn't invaded, none of this would have happened. That, that's indisputable. Um, nevertheless, the facts of the case clearly show that Ukraine basically fabricated something that was their fault, fabricated Russian involvement in something that was clearly their fault. Mm. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. How far away from the mainstream media's narrative is what you're hearing right now? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. Shirley Carter from beautiful Philadelphia says, we must research news internationally to get an informed handle of the news. I think that's true. And ordinarily, like you said, in, well, in different times, I would say, I would be, I could, I could go to the Guardian, the British Guardian. I could go to the, even the BBC, which is mainstream yep. British news. I could go to Le Monde. I could go around the world. Well, let's say to Europe and get another view and to get alternate views. If I wanted to hear a different view, I really have to go into the global south. I have to go to South and Central America. I have to go, I have to go to Africa. I have to go to India. I mean, at least I can hear some different views, um, and I still have to do that now with respect. And mind you, because it is the global south that has refused to call this a world conflict. They're like, no, this is a European conflict. This is we're not a, This is not. This is not the, the colonial days. You can't just pull us into this conflict. Lula da Silva said it. 
um, not Modi in India, but many other progressive voices in India have said it. You know, African nations have said it. I mean, am I far off the mark here, Dr. Gibbs? Uh, No. Uh, no, the, the global south clearly has been um, aghast of what's been going on in Ukraine, and 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 with regard to the U.S. NATO aspect as well as the Russian aspect, I think they take a more balanced view of it, in my view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you know, countries like India, um, Latin America, Mexico, in particular, South Africa. I, I think the attitude there is that um, this is. Um, just a horror show for the whole world, and the whole world mm-hmm. is paying a price for it, a very high price. And poorer countries, not surprisingly, pay, the, pay an even higher price still. And, you know, the lack of access to food, fertilizer, uh, 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 petroleum products, and so on, is having a devastating effect everywhere, but particularly on the poorer, poorer countries in the South. Um, and uh, I think they, they are much more attuned to the idea that the United States has been far from this... Um, knight in shining armor that it likes to portray itself as being, and had a lot to do with the cause of this conflict. I think that's recognized. There's a bit of a sort of media and political bubble in the U.S. and Europe in the uh, NATO states with regard to what's going on here. But you step outside that bubble, and you see the, the, the situation very differently. And one more point, I suppose, to note is that, um, you know, when the United States and, you know, Europe refers to the international community, they're really referring just to the U.S. and its allies, mainly in Europe. Um, it. You know, it's, it's it. a little bit like, it does remind me a little bit historically of in the 19th century, they talked about the civilized world. Well, the civilized world consisted to some degree of the same states that are backing, uh, you know, the NATO war against, in, 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 against Russia. I mean, that's that's the, the modern version of the civilized world. And I, I think... In the global south, that people see through that veneer, whereas I think uh, we in the United States, and also evidently in Europe, most people don't see through that. Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, I guess, you know, colonialism, it's, 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 it's hard for it to, to be uh, relegated to the dustbins of history. You know, I mean, the fact yeah. is now uh, Europe is struggling to figure out how they can survive and thrive. And now these nations upon which they built their wealth are emerging as superpowers. I mean, the richest nation in the world, according to the McKinsey report that came out last year, is not the United States. It's actually China. You know, now a lot of people, you know, took umbrage with the report. I'm like, but it is McKinsey on, and on everything else. You agree with them. <laughs> you trust their information. There is no more prestigious uh, business consulting firm in the world. But that was their research last year, Dr. Gibbs. Let me bring up uh, Mark, because Mark uh, takes umbrage with your assessment. Mark, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you guys? It's great hearing your voice. And thank you for listening. Even as you disagree, I appreciate it. Sure. So I, I, I guess I'm. I listen to you every morning as I'm as I'm uh, on my commute, and what I'm sort of shocked at, and I just heard a comment a moment ago, which mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if it's unintentional, but calling calling the Russian invasion of a sovereign nation a NATO war. It's not a NATO war. NATO is a defensive organization. It has never invaded a sovereign nation like Russia has. So all of this Russian apologist propaganda uh, is, I think, really inappropriate. It's a sovereign nation that was invaded by an aggressor. 
NATO and the West is trying to do what any moral, I think, country would do is defend the victim of such aggression. And that's all it you is. Know, but, they are but not you know what's interesting, Mark? They're just providing means. But, Mark, you know what? I never see us do this throughout the rest of the world. NATO, you know, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, they uh, protect Europe. I get it. But, you know, I can't help but think, and I'm old enough to remember apartheid in South Africa. America not only did not lift a finger to to defend the people of South Africa, the black people of South Africa, the Indians in South Africa who were being slaughtered. They had Mandela arrested. They had him they had him categorized as a terrorist even as he was the president of South Africa. And we supported it along with Britain as we are supporting this right here. Dr. Gibbs, why don't you respond to Mark? Well, you know, I understand that's the perception, the widespread perception is that NATO is a defensive alliance and this is entirely Russia's fault. I don't think it's accurate. Uh, first of all, if you look at NATO's recent history, uh, NATO aggressively overthrew the government of Libya um, with catastrophic consequences. That was a NATO action. Um, you know, Gaddafi was, not, Gaddafi wasn't a nice man, but he was tortured to death. By some accounts, he was uh, sodomized with a bayonet before he was killed. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton, who is the Secretary of State then, uh, effectively one of the heads of NATO, um, was delighted when she heard this. She uh, laughed out loud and uh, was, was delighted to hear this. Uh, so NATO is hardly a, a passive or defensive organization. NATO was involved in the 20-year U.S. occupation of Afghanistan, a catastrophic event, um, which I think was one of the main causes, actually, of the NATO war against Russia to make up for America's humiliation in Afghanistan. A NATO's humiliation in Afghanistan as well. Um, you know, NATO, uh, you could say officially it began, in a sense, as a uh, defensive organization in 1949. That certainly hasn't been its role uh, since uh, the end of the Cold War. After the end of the Cold War, people had no idea what NATO was for. So the idea was um, out-of-area operations, which means turning it into a aggressive global organization. Uh, the term was out-of-area or out-of-business. Either we become a globally aggressive force, or we don't have a function and we have to cease to exist. Um, so I think that um, there really was an explicitly uh, aggressive character to NATO after the end of the Cold War, operationalized in places like Libya, and yes, more recently in Russia. And I do think there's overwhelming evidence the U.S. provoked this war and did so quite intentionally. Um, you know, the whole idea of NATO expansion, um, top officials... Um, some of the most the top officials beginning in the 90s were warning this will cause real problems. It'll cause major destabilization. Uh, again and again and again, top officials warned about this. In 2008, U.S. Ambassador to Russia, William Burns, who's now CIA director, sent a cable to Washington, which was leaked to WikiLeaks. It was entitled, Niet means Niet, no means no. And he said, every Russian I talked to, not just uh, no, Putin, but also opposition figures, all of them, would see, you know, Ukraine joining NATO, any possibility of Ukraine joining NATO, as he called it, the reddest of red lines, something that's completely a dire threat to Russia, a threat to Russia's existence. So the U.S. knew what it was doing when it decided to, uh, you know, in principle at least, allow Ukraine to join NATO and began arming um, Ukraine to the teeth. Um, they knew what they were doing, and they knew that that would that would. Uh, cause a conflict, very likely a war, and they did it anyway and refused to back down up to the very end. Um, 
So, yes, I do see this as a U.S. provocation of Russia. Again, it does not justify the invasion. Russia should have swallowed hard, accepted the fact the U.S. is trying to humiliate it, accepted the humiliation, on account of the fact that that's far better than launching a terrible invasion. Um, but it can't be said the U.S. is an innocent party and NATO is not an innocent party. It takes two to tango. And uh, NATO and the U.S. have very much been a part of the lead-up to this war. They're not innocent parties at all. Hmm. Mark, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. A lot of I've got about thirty seconds. Stuff. Well, you know what, Mark? Why don't you stay here and I'll and I'll have you speak with Dr. Gibbs during the commercial break while we're on Facebook Live. Okay? I'm up. A, I'm up against yeah, a hard break. Would you mind doing that? All right. Sure. Okay. Stay there because we want some understanding here. And I realize that what Dr. Gibbs uh, is offering is a view that we're not hearing in corporate media, but it is a view and a it is a worldview that is held by much, if not most, of the world. No one thinks that, no one applauds the invasion of Ukraine. No one, no one, no one, no one. But no one, no one also should applaud the overthrowing of their democratically elected government by us. We did that in 2014. See, we have to get the whole story. That, that's what's going to help us. And then we have to study war no more. We have a war college here, but when Dennis Kucinich talks about having a secretary of peace, a department of peace, he's laughed off the presidential stage. Now, America, we're going to have to make a decision about who we are and which way we're going. Okay? So let's talk about the Georgia race. What's going to happen there? What can Raphael Warnock do? Senator Warnock, what is his path to victory? It's not going to be easy. It is not easy. It is a tight race, and we need to figure out how we can win. <laughs> More of the Santita Jackson Show on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio. Mark, stay right there so that you can have just a few more words with Dr. Gibbs. Stay right here. 773-763-9278. Back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station at AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. I hope you'll meet me on... Facebook on the Santita Jackson and Friends. We're streaming live there and AM 950 Radio, uh, the voice of Progressive Minnesota, AM950Radio.com and WCPT820.com. We're streaming there. The Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. We're streaming there. You can see, well, you can see my face and you can hear all of our voices. So come on, everybody. Let's meet up. And are you ready for Thanksgiving? I know I am. I can't wait. I love this holiday. I love this holiday season. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And we're mindful of the one in four Americans who will not be able to have a turkey this year. They're going to forego Thanksgiving because they cannot afford it. Let's think about that. Please do not forget them. And if you know someone who is in need of a meal, if you can't share a meal with them, because that might not be possible, make sure that they get someplace where they can get something to eat. Please, no one should go hungry any day of the year. Uh, let alone Thanksgiving. I'm Santita Jackson. It's a joy to be with you today as we talk about the path to victory in Georgia. 
everyone's still waiting for the midterms of 2022 to be closed out. They're not closed out yet, everybody. No, not by a long shot. We still need a win in Georgia. How can Raphael Warnock, the senator, Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock, the senator from the great state of Georgia, how can he win? How can he win, particularly as we're now seeing the impact of voter suppression? This 2021 law that has completely changed the game. You can't vote on Saturday and on and on and on and on. You can't get registered uh, up until the election day. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. Let's talk about that on the Santita Jackson Show. Let's get to some of these headlines, everybody. There's snow on the ground here in Chicago, everybody. I've got my boots on today. Yes, I do. And I'm ready for this, ready for this weather. I'm ready for it. Are you? That's happening all over the country in Chicago. 29 degrees, snow flurries. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 19 degrees. It is cloudy. In the NFL, the Titans were triumphant over the Packers, 27 to 17. Uh, The Magic will be playing the Bulls tonight here in Chicago. And uh, the Penguins, 6, the Wild, 4. Mmm. Parts of the East Coast are facing a barrage of winter weather hazards this weekend. Millions of people on the West Coast will be under fire watches. Hmm, what do you think is going to happen, everybody? How are you doing? How are you faring? It's a historic storm that is bearing down on western New York State, everybody. They're expecting up to four feet of snow in Buffalo. That's right. Wow, they haven't seen that kind of of accumulation in 20 years. And it's going to be cold here in Chicago, cold in Minneapolis, St. Paul today. And we're getting snow. So everybody, go on and get ready. What about Nancy Pelosi, everybody? The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, said yesterday that she will relinquish her leadership post. A move that marks the end of an era, everybody. Uh, She's historic. And many people are saying that looking back over her time, as Speaker of the House, that she is the most consequential speaker in the history of the House. Indeed, she said something that touched us all yesterday. She said, who would have thought that I could have gone from being a homemaker to being the House Speaker? All those skills that you have holding your marriage and your children together, raising them. See, a woman can raise a nation. Go ahead, Nancy Pelosi. And she started this journey at the age of 47, having grown up in a very, very political household in Baltimore. There's a wonderful picture of her at the age of 16 or so when she is standing with her father. Her father's introducing this little deputante to President John F. Kennedy. And boy, look, take a look at her now in her 80s, living her best life. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn also announced that they would step down. Indeed, there are three and historic trio who are waiting in the wings, an African-American, a woman, and an Hispanic. Hakeem Jeffries, indeed, is on track to become the next Speaker of the House. He's only 52, but when the when the majority is recaptured, he would be the first African-American Speaker of the House. And um, we'll see how all of that goes. What an historic time. What a time to be alive. The Justice Department indicated in a court filing Thursday that it plans to ask the Supreme Court to reinstate President Joe Biden's student debt relief program that would relieve eligible borrowers borrowers up to $20,000. They need it. What will the Supreme Court do? We will find out soon, everybody. North Korea launched an intercontinental ballistic missile today, a test condemned as a brazen violation of U.N. resolution by the United States and its allies. It's important for us to remember that we are still technically at war. The United States is with North Korea. When will that end? 1.9 million. What does that mean? That's P. 
people who have type 1 diabetes, unlike type 2 diabetes, which can be prevented with lifestyle changes, this is a genetic condition, and uh, the latest data from the American Diabetes Association shows that there is an FDA-approved treatment to delay the onset of type 1 diabetes. Let us hope that it works so that more and more people will not get diabetes. And congratulations goes to Karen Bass, the congresswoman from California, who is now the first woman to be the mayor of Los Angeles. Wow. Uh, She said in her victory speech that my message is we are going to solve homelessness. She is embarking upon a major effort to get 40,000 people, not just off the street, but get them housed, to get them homed, if you will. She will assume office on December 12th, and we wish her the best. Uh, This makes four of the major, uh, four of the largest cities in the United States that are helmed by African Americans, Eric Adams in New York, Lori Lightfoot here in Chicago, Sylvester Turner in Houston, and now Karen Bass in Los Angeles. Praying for them because they have to do more with Many, many fewer resources. And those are some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. Let's talk about um, financial freedom. I want you to reach out to David Hochberg and Team Hochberg. Reach out to them, everybody. If you are using a debit card, you really need to use a credit card. How do you do that? You need to have a plan. If you do not have enough good credit to even think about getting a house. You need to call them and get a plan. Do you have a credit card debt that is just insurmountable? Don't negotiate with the credit card companies yourself. You call Team Hochberg and let them do it for you. They can do so many things, get you loans, tell you about reverse mortgages. They know the financial products, and they know the financial products that can set you free financially. Tom and Sonia. Two children, an unmanageable mortgage, and 17 credit cards that gave them $100,000 worth of debt. Well, guess what? They reached out to Team Hochberg. They said, mm, maybe this will work. They'd been denied a loan. They were about to lose their home. Well, guess what happened? Team Hochberg listened to them in this free phone call, and then they returned to them with a plan. And then Tom and Sonia worked with them, and they were able to negotiate, Team Hochberg was, with the credit card companies, and they moved down their credit card payments by more than $2,800, and they were able to save their home and get them a loan. That could be you. People are struggling. You are not alone. Call them at 855-56-DAVID, 855-56-DAVID, or go to 56david.com, 56david.com. Tell them all about it. They've seen it all. It's okay. It's okay. I want financial freedom for you, and I don't want you to be stressed out and messing up your relationships and everything else because you think that you're under um, some cloud that will never pass. The storm will pass over. Call them at Team Hochberg, 855-56-DAVID, or go to 56david.com. What's going to happen in Georgia, everybody? What will happen in Georgia? We do not know. We hope that there will be. A victory for uh, for Raphael Warnock, but nothing is assured. You've got to get out and vote, everybody. Polls don't vote. People do. That's what Latasha Brown tells us. And um, But that having been said, you know, laws determine how you vote, if you're able to vote. You saw what happened in Florida. More than 1.4 million people had their voting rights reinstated. And then a Republican legislature overturned the will of the people. Yeah, these people who had served their time, uh, they were supposed to be able to vote. 
And the Republicans overturned that. And now in 2021, there is a voting law that was put into place that makes it much, much, much harder for people to vote. Stricter identification requirements, reduced uh, available ballot drop boxes, reduced times to vote, and on and on and on it goes. And so now the Democrats are suing over a lack of Saturday early voting in Georgia Senate runoff. There's a lot going on. And so we've got this tremendous panel who are going to talk to us about it today, Attorney C.K. Hoffler, down there in Atlanta. And, of course, she is the chair of Rainbow Push, and um, she is also the former president of the National Bar Association, but she has her own show on WALK every Tuesday at 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And... She is on Court TV, legal analyst there, and of course, host of his own show on WOL in Washington, D.C., Attorney Daryl Jones, chair of the Transformative Justice Coalition, and we've got um, Reverend Dr. Todd Yeary from Rainbow Push, pastor of the Douglas Memorial Community Church. I'm so excited to have all of you here with us today. We've got a lot to talk about. C.K., what is the state of play in in Georgia today. I mean, what is going on? First of all, tell me about this 2021 law. Well, this 2021 law, we knew that it was coming. We knew that it was going to happen. No sooner did Senator Raphael Warnock win um, the runoff election did we did we see the passage of one of the most um, oppressive voter suppression laws in Georgia, just as we saw that in, in other states, too. And the bottom line is, that law made it illegal, as we know we've heard a lot, to give people water, give them food in line. Even if someone's passing out right in front of you, you can't really legally do what is humanitarian and sane, which is to give someone a helping hand if they're standing in line waiting to vote. These long lines that we have in Georgia in some precincts, not everywhere, just in some precincts. And what it also did is it also eliminated and severely restricted folks' access the ballot boxes, drop boxes, eliminated a lot of drop boxes, polling stations, and also the ability to vote on Saturdays. And you have to understand, young folks who turned out in strong numbers, despite the odds, and many people, working people, people like me who work, you know, it's, it, we have to make a sacrifice to, you know, vote during you know, Monday and Friday between 7 and 7. That may not work for everybody's schedule, but... Saturday is a day that a lot of people would rely on being able to vote. So with this runoff election, there's a challenge right now. You mentioned the litigation. It's my understanding Senator Raphael Warnock has joined the litigation to enable Georgians to vote on Saturdays. And then there's also a question about Sunday voting. Not every county is required. It's going to be decided by the counties to to enable people to vote on Sundays either. So, you know, this is a restriction on people's ability to vote. And they only, and if you did not register, I believe it's the 7th of November, then you can't register to vote in this runoff election. So all of those, and then let's not forget, and Greg Palace, the great journalist, investigative um, journalist Greg Palace has uncovered again and again that many people have been illegally stripped from the rolls, the voting rolls in Georgia. So those people have been illegally stripped who wanted to register to vote to vote for the runoff election, and they have discovered that they were not eligible to vote in the, in the election, 
if they didn't register to vote by the 11th, they can't vote in this runoff election. So there are all of these things that are happening, Santita. And this was meticulously, methodically put in place. This was not like a, oh, let's just do this now. It was methodically put in place by the Republicans here in Georgia. You know, my view is voting should not be partisan. Everyone should have the right to vote. The election protection effort is designed to protect people at the polls so they don't encounter voter suppression, so that they are allowed to cast their vote. But here we have in Georgia, like other places, all of these measures designed to prevent people from voting. Really, truthfully, to prevent prevent black and brown and young voters from voting here in Georgia. The group of voters that would be, that would actually probably be responsible for putting Senator Raphael Warnock back in office. Well, hold on one moment, office. because that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? I mean, it is. the, the, oh, this has been put in place to, I mean, voter, voter suppression uh, really hurts black and brown and progressive white candidates. I don't want to leave progressive whites out of this and progressive Asians. It leaves people who are who are fighting for the people out of the political process. It diminishes their chances of winning. Is that, would that not be would that be not be fair to say? That's that's correct. And we're seeing it. We're seeing it. You know, on we're, we're peeling back the onion, and we're seeing the result of it in Georgia. So I think when people say all lives are in Georgia, well, we didn't need Georgia to win the majority in the Senate, but we need Georgia to dilute to to neutralize. Cinema and Mansion. So all eyes are on Georgia, but for another reason, too, because we are seeing up front and personal in Georgia exactly how voter suppression is manifesting itself. It's just sort of how when you're in the workplace, gone are the days where people use the N-word in the workplace. That's, that's not how discrimination manifests itself in the workplace. The microaggressions, the macroaggressions, the subtleties, the insidious nature of it, that's what we're seeing in voter suppression in Georgia. It's not going to be, although there is a slap in the face when you can't even give people some water and, and some food in line when they're, they, they could be experiencing a medical issue. But I think that we're seeing it play itself out in Georgia. And this is what we're going to see in this country. This is not going to be an isolated instance of one state. This is the, this is the wave of today, not the wave of the future of today. This is where we are today. So I think that's why all eyes are in Georgia. And, of course, mm-hmm. all eyes are in Georgia because of the lunacy, and I said it, lunacy, of having a candidate such as Herschel Walker even remotely coming close to winning. And I say the, that. But, because, CK, honey, it, it's wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. It's, well, CK. it's systemic of where we are in this country. But, but you know, CK, we saw this with, yeah. I'm just trying to tell you something, my sister. This is what happened to Chicago the first time Harold Washington ran. He ran against a man named Bernard Epton who was clearly struggling. He had mental health issues. And when you saw him speaking, you were very clear that he was struggling. The night that he almost became mayor, because that is something, that was, that was a fight to the finish. It was almost a photo finish. The night that he almost became mayor, he was in a mental health ward. He almost became mayor, C.K. C.K., well, let me tell you, he was, he was in Herschel a Walker padded room. Did, okay, well, and Herschel Walker could almost become senator. Yeah, I'm, I'm, did, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that when it comes to power politics, 
uh, you know, being quite, this is when we see the, you know, the joke in all of this. <laughs> like these folks. I call it lunacy. Do, I call it lunacy. It's not, it's not just lunacy, but it's also called supremacy. All the things, yeah, all well, the hoops that we have to jump through to be better than to be, you know, we, in order to be better than the best and all that. Oh, please. They will they will put someone who is struggling, someone who would, who doesn't have the mental capacity or the intellectual capacity to do the job. They will put them in there just to hold the seat. And that's and that's what but, we, but, we, we see it over and over and over again. Santita, you're right. But let me just throw in this other slime, the ointment. The reason why I think it's resonating in Georgia is because Herschel Walker is a football star. Again, I live in this world now. I did live in this world a few years ago, but I live in it now. Football, whatever we say about football and basketball, but let's focus on football, is in and of itself a religion. Yeah. And I say that figuratively speaking. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I know we've got, you know, Dr. Reverend Dr. Uri on the line. Lord, forgive me for saying that. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I'm stating how I view it politically. So football is a religion. So that's the only place where you would literally, you could have at a football game in Georgia, in Alabama, in South Carolina, you could have someone who is an active participant in the activities of January 6th and who, and who lives racial animus and white supremacy sitting by, sitting by a progressive Democrat or an African-American almost arms locked cheering for someone running down the field. But, you that's know, but, 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 but that's what we've done, sadly. Sadly, as we go, as we, this is what we've done with our politics. It's become the politics of celebrity, period. Period, period. I mean, you have, you have folks who get plastic surgery to run for office because you got to look a certain way. And we're paying the price for that. It's very shallow. And it is hurting us all. Let me get, i got a couple of minutes before I go to break. Attorney Daryl Jones, uh, and I, I promise you I'll get more comments from you on the other side, because you and Attorney Arnwine and the Transformative Justice Coalition have been election observers, like President Carter does in other countries. <laughs> you, you were called into Georgia. Do you need to do that again? December 6th? Oh, good, mor- oh, good morning, Santita. Without question, you know, we're, we'll be in Georgia. We're going to be in Georgia. Let's be clear. We've been asked to be there. We'll be there. We'll be organizing to be certain that the voters in Georgia have access to the uh, to the polls the way that they should. You know, what CK laid out in talking about the, the Georgia Senate Bill 202 and its new restrictions that it's imposing on voters is extremely accurate. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And did you, could you possibly even think about a situation where there would be an election that's going to be held and you cannot be registered. You don't have the opportunity to register to be a part of that election. That's, that's just unthinkable in the United States. But that's what's happening in Georgia. Can you think of a situation where uh, there would be no requirement to have Sunday voting by the counties? That the, it's left up to the counties for Sunday voting, whether or not the one Sunday of a voting uh, that they have available in Georgia, whether or not those counties want to have it. And there may be four or five counties that are electing to do it. And as you may imagine, those are the four or five counties that have the largest populations, the most diverse and largest African-American and, uh, and Latino populations in the state of Georgia. I couldn't imagine a state saying that there will be no Saturday voting. Why? Hmm. Because there's the, Richard, uh, there's the Robert E. Lee holiday 
that's two days prior to the voting. Therefore, you can't have your Saturday voting. This is incredible. Who would imagine this? I couldn't imagine having vote by mail complicated such that our seniors won't be able to receive their absentee ballots in time to be able to return it. Because if it's not at the Board of Elections by 7 p.m. on December the 6th, Election Day, it won't be, won't be counted, regardless of when it's postmarked. This is insane. This is the reason that, uh, that the Transformative Justice Coalition, Rainbow Push Coalition, Black Voters Matter, Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda, all are coming together, all going down to Georgia to fight to be certain that people know what hurdles they have to get over in order to have their votes counted. And to be certain that they take focus on how to knock the hurdles down for future elections. But this is what's happening down there. You, you know, Santina, and I, and I know you, we're coming up against a break. Like 20 seconds. Remember that, that the whole Senate, the whole runoff thing that's been set off in Georgia, it only happens in 10 states, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Texas. What do they have in common? Now all of them have, have slavery. This is a vestige from what was going on to keep black people out of power in the United States. We'll talk about more of it. I, I know we got to go to break. Stop absolutely. Right there absolutely. The other side. But, you know, Reverend Frank Watkins talked about the southernization of American politics. Remember, America is a right wing nation, everybody. So while it's, we see it in the South most starkly, be very clear. They've restricted the voting rights for people in Maine. They don't want young white kids voting. Think about that. 773-763-9278. Back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. The question is today on the Santita Jackson Show on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Get on over there, everybody. And at Santita J on Twitter and Santita Jackson and friends, I want to know what is the path to victory for Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock, the senator, the great senator from the great state of Georgia. How can he win? It is a tighter than this race in the general election in between uh, Senator Warnock and citizen uh, and citizen uh, Walker was a libertarian. Libertarians skew right. They're independent, but they tend to skew at least Republican. They have some very interesting views, and I think, quite frankly, everybody's kind of like a mix, a mashup of a lot of things. But let's just see. I mean, because now you have voter restrictions in place. And so what is the plan? What is the plan? Uh, Senator Warnock is expanding his ground game, according to this ABC News report. He is now putting three Hundred. They've added 300 paid staffers and new offices across the state because they have got a lot to do and not a whole lot of time to do it in. So what do you think about that, everybody? What is the path to victory? And uh, what about these voter restrictions? We were very, very excited when we saw uh, Reverend Dr. Yeary. We, when we saw people over-indexing in the vote, I mean, the, the vote in Georgia was blacker, it was older, people were getting out and they were voting, and that is a great thing. 
And we broke records all over the country. People are very engaged in this voting process, in this process of making America work. But the other side of it, the voter restrictions that were codified in 2021, now you're beginning to see how this all shakes out. (laughs) You know, no voting on Saturday, maybe even Sunday. Um, Ballot drop boxes, well, there are not that many of them. And on and on and on. Reverend Dr. Yeary. What about that? And what about the pathway to victory? Where is it? Well, uh, good morning, Santita. Good morning to uh, my colleagues and friends. Look, the the pathway to victory is through the numbers that are often underrepresented, particularly where is the greatest opportunity. I still believe it is in that 18 to 30 age group uh, that has so much on the line, right, particularly those in uh, college towns, university towns, um, across the state. The other reason that age group is so important, that is the age group that is not as infatuated with Herschel Walker's mythology uh, because they don't remember when he played for the University of Georgia. That only resonates with a particular generation uh, that remembers the days when, when he wore a red uniform and he's now running for the, the red party. The other part that has to be remembered is this is still a fight for influence in the upper chamber. Do not get it twisted that simply because there are 50 right now Democrats or those who caucus with the Democrats already settled for the Senate, there's a reason why Mitch McConnell is lending uh, his efforts from uh, the, the senatorial campaign fund uh, to the ground game for Herschel Walker to drive turnout. The reason is if you get 50-50 with Herschel Walker, there's a greater than likely likelihood, I believe, that you may get Manchin to move to being independent and voting with the Republican caucus because he has his seat up in 2024 and so uh, in West Virginia. So I think we have to remember the political calculus is essential that you need 51 votes so that you can have one go rogue. It is highly unlikely that Kirsten Sinema would do likewise, even though her seat is up in two years as well. So we got to run that calculation. But the other piece, I think, is you you mentioned the theopolitics and the infatuation with football. Remember, right next door, uh, the state of Alabama elected Tommy Tuberville as one of its senators. Uh, He coached uh, in Alabama. And and so uh, it is it is uh, interesting that uh, the rule is when we think about religion and politics, your God is what is supreme in your life. In Georgia and Alabama, what's supreme in the fall is the Georgia-Alabama football game. And so if we think about it from the ideology of could someone who runs a football actually be in the Senate, it depends on who you're talking to. It's kind of the universal answer for every question in law school. It's not a yes or no. It's an it depends. And so it depends on who's going to turn out. It depends on who shows up during the election cycle, whatever that early voting window may or may not be, and on December 6th. So I think we have to get back to what's really at stake, and that's pushing the agenda of the upper chamber that does not require the House. And that is primarily the president's appointments to the federal bench. Those are absolutely the most critical thing that could happen in the next two years leading to the 2024 general election for presidency. Because as we see, fighting in the courts for student loan debt relief, fighting in the courts over protecting voting rights, fighting in the courts over this policy issue or that policy issue, 
That's why it's important that everybody who has skin in the game, which there's an item on the agenda that is being challenged from the right, that they don't want you to have something, it comes down to this. Remember this. We the people was not a universal, all-inclusive phrase when it was written. It has only come to mean what it means today because the people who were excluded then fought to make sure that they got in and they stayed in. And so it's up to them to vote this time up to December 6th. Hmm. You know, we abbreviated your remarks on the other side of the break, Attorney Jones. And um, I want you to expound upon what you were discussing. I mean, you know, I mean, the fact is, I'm looking, I'm today, I wanted to look at this pathway to victory, you know, because people need to know what the restrictions are. Um, and this is why you have to support um, Stacey Abrams and her efforts to open up the voting process for everyone. Because this is when you see, you know, everyone was saying, oh, my goodness, so many people turned out to vote. See, the voter suppression is not a problem. No, Stacey Abrams said, oh, no, 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 no. You cannot outvote voter suppression because when, when, the back, when your back is against the wall, this is when you see. I know you uh, voting on Saturday. Uh, I don't think so. Souls to the polls? No, not after church, no, buddy. You have to go between, what, seven and seven? And if you can't, too bad. And so many of us, Attorney Jones, work jobs where those those hours do not work for us. They just don't. And, I mean, I don't know. In America, we still make it so hard for people to vote. I mean, from coast to coast. The slave states, yes, they are... They, you know, they amplify it. But the fact is, this is happening in Maine. And then out, out west, you have, you just drop your ballot in the mail, and that's the end of that. They're not even worried about the mail system being, being a mess. I mean, what, what is this? I mean, how do we get around this? Wow. Uh, that, that's a great question. I know I've given you a tall order, but you can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's a great question. Kenosha. That's a great there you question. go. <laughs> that's a great question. And, and I tell you, uh, a large part of what the voters in Georgia uh, are now facing uh, is dealing with that no Saturday voting. You know, is dealing with, you know, it, it's almost a confusion that's being intentionally put in place, right? Because mm-hmm. we know that Sunday voting is not required. It is not required that every county in Georgia have Sunday voting. It's up to the county to make those decisions. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of confusion uh, that, that's going on. And when you add to that confusion when you're dealing with the college students. Why do I say that? Because with the college students, this December the 6th runoff election day, it's smack in the middle of their final examination. So, you know, they're going to be choosing between whether or not they have the final examination or they try to go to vote you know, and, and how it all works in. It goes worse than that, because if you are living outside the state of Georgia, but your residence is still in Georgia, you're in college uh, in, I don't know, uh, in, in Chicago or someplace else, and you can't get to your polling place to be able to vote, the chances are that you're not going to receive the absentee ballot, your vote by mail ballot, in time to be able to have it count, because you, uh, many of them, 150,000 of them, are supposed to be sent out automatically by the local board of elections. And of course, it's only for people that voted in and uh, that voted in for the 150,000 that voted in 
uh, the general uh, election, they're going to have their automatically sent out. But it doesn't say when they're sending them out. So you may not have received it in time to be able to get it back in to be counted on Election Day, December the 6th, and before 7 p.m. on Election Day. That's the, that's what's happening. So we see all of these pieces that have been put in place to make it more difficult for people to be able to vote. You know, one of the big conservative philosophies has been to uh, they know that uh, if they can shrink the pool of eligible voters, that they have a greater advantage. And so that's what you see happening with this Senate Bill 202. They're shrinking that pool of eligible voters uh, so that you know it, it does not benefit seniors. It does not benefit uh, college students. It does not benefit the African-American voter in general. In addition to that, we also know that there's a big, and this is all that confusion, right? There's a big question mark with regards to those provisional ballots. Remember all the conversations we had about people being challenged at the polls when they went to vote and they didn't know they've been challenged, and so they have to figure out and prove that they actually live with the, where they live and that they should be able to vote? Well, they had to, many of them had to cast provisional ballots. And so the question becomes, was their provisional ballot counted? If they were not able to prove their registration before uh, November the 7th, right, that, which is the cutoff for December the 6th, then they may not be able to participate in the runoff election. More confusion. So you know, one of the things that people have got to do right now, if you're in the state of Georgia, uh, is that you need to go to vote.org. You need to go to vote.org to see if you are registered in the state of Georgia. Because if you're not registered right now in the state of Georgia, you cannot participate in the runoff election on December the 6th. So you need to go to vote.org to be certain that you're registered, uh, that, so that you're in the game, you're in the stadium and able to go and vote uh, in the state of Georgia. But all of, this are the cha- all of these are the challenges that are being presented. You know, we're going to be bringing vans in to take seniors to the polls. You know, uh, Santita, you, you, you know uh, how uh, RPC and TJC rolls when uh, they start telling us uh, we can't do something. We're going to be, you know, at uh, many of the HBCUs. We're going to be doing our poll parties. They told us we can't do it, uh, can't give water and food to people in line. Well, we're not going to do it in line. We're going to do it on the campus, and then we're going to transport you over to the, uh, to the polling place. We're still going to have our party. We're still going to have our votes get on. We're still going to have our line dances going on. But we're going to be certain that everybody that's eligible and wants to, be able, and wants to vote in this runoff election we're going to get them to the polls. So that's going to be the big push. There's going to be a big knowledge campaign that's going up because many Georgia voters simply don't know that they have to vote again, that there is a runoff election. Those rural areas, you've got to bring it to them. They don't they know that they have that. to vote again. They don't know. They do not know. that. They, absolutely. They just don't know. They think they've already voted. They saw the results. They think it's over. So, you know, part of what we're doing is that we're going to have the, the canvassing, the door-to-door going on throughout the rural sections uh, of Georgia to be certain that people know that they need to get out to vote. You know, we encourage everyone to go to votingrightsalliance.org to help us. You know, we have phone banking that's going to be on, texting campaigns that's going to be on. There are all kinds of ways that people can help to let folks in Georgia know uh, that there's an election going on and that they need to get out and vote if they're eligible to vote. So, you know, we encourage everyone to go to that votingrightsalliance.org website and volunteer for one of the committees. 
unbelievable. 773-763-9278. I mean, l- legally, what do you do, CK, if you... Well, what, what if you get your ballot the day of the election? That's when it arrives. <laughs> what do you do? Uh, well, this is the thing. If you get your ballot the day or, of the or election... Or wait a minute. Worse still, the day at December 7th. Well, for one, if you have a plan to vote, you know you don't have your ballot before Election Day. Now, that assumes that you know when Election Day is, because there's a lot of disinformation out there. That's why it's so important to have a lot of these um, grassroots organizations, such as Transformers, Justice Coalition, Rainbow Push, Black Voters Matter Fund, the People Coalition, all of them going door to door, making sure people get the right information. So if you don't know, if, if, if by the day before or two days before, and you thought you were going to get, well, it's, it's just really too late at that point because you can't send a ballot back in. So you need to plan to go in person. Because so wait, wait, wait. If, if you are sent a ballot and you go and vote because you're like, well, it's not getting here in time and you're like, I don't want to wait. Does that, will you get in legal trouble for having voted? but then being in possession of a ballot? Well, this is what I would do. That's a good question. Under normal circumstances, because it might go before a commission, you shouldn't get in trouble. But I trust nothing. We are in a voter suppression state of mind here in Georgia. So if that happened to me, what I would do is I would vote in person and I would have in hand and I would say this, I just received this. And I would not accept a provisional ballot. And I would call one eight six vote and report it because it might very well be that an election protection lawyer could get in touch or there could be forces in the field there that could help you because that's very, very important. Every single vote counts. So if there's something that doesn't feel right, feels a little shaky, doesn't happen according to course, it's because it, it is shaky. It shouldn't feel right. That's voter suppression at this point, at this point. And even if it's something else, don't take a chance. Don't sit around and say, well, let me, don't pontificate over it. You've got to move into action because time is of the essence. But the right. one thing that you have, so long as you can vote that day in person, is you can vote that day in person. We know it's an inconvenience. We know it's a hassle. That's but, but, but before I go to Paul from Seattle, what about people who are sick and shut in? And Because there's some people who physically can't, can't move, CK. That's true. That's true. And typically for the sick and shut in, and, and, I, and I'm sure that this is designed to count against them, there would be provisions um, for people for they would have an absentee ballot. But it's too late for that. And that's why there's transportation. I mean, I know that people who are sick and shut in, if at all, they have the ability to go out. Now, if they can't go out, then that is problematic. And that's part of why this 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 pull, this push at the last minute to shut down avenues of people to be able to vote is so terrible because the sick and shut in, if they knew they were going to be sick and shut in, if they'd been sick and shut in for a while, they could have made provisions to receive an absentee ballot. If they haven't received one, again, this is something to report. I set up right now, one eight six six one eight six six our vote because there may be solutions that could be had. You could petition or go to or, commu- or communicate with the um, board of elections in your county. But that may not be good enough because they could be part of the problem. But one eight six six our vote escalating it up is very very important. Absolutely. Let me our vote 
there are lawyers that are there on standby who are, this is what they are can help you. Just uh, pardon pardon the interruption, but I wanted to get Paul on very quickly, who's gotten up early in Seattle. Paul, very quickly, sweetie, what's your comment or question? Good morning. Uh, Good morning. morning. So in terms of, I know what C.K. Hoffman's talking about. She trusts nothing. Now, you can't get in trouble for being in possession of a ballot if you've already voted, if there isn't a law that says that. And but as she trusts nothing and should trust nothing, they could hassle you on the day on the election day, and then you figure it out later in court. But you have been your right to vote has been infringed. Now going forward, I don't understand. CK, maybe you can explain this, but all of these laws, such as not allowing someone to give you water in line, this they make them defend that rational basis. There's no rational reasons for that, and that's uh, overly restrictive. Arbitrary and capricious, and that rational basis should be challenged. It has nothing to do with the election whatsoever. And there are, frankly, there are people who need to have water for whatever reason. That that is essentially discriminatory based on someone's physiology that they can't, uh, you know, they have to have water. This has nothing to do with it. I would challenge many of these laws in Georgia. But as you say, you can be harassed or, you know, you can, you'll figure it out later, but you've been put out of line. You, know, you had a ballot. That's what they're going to do, put you out of line. But you, you know what, Paul? Oh, oh, you may be in the right, but... Paul, <laughs> Dr. King challenged us to... Cha- you, we've got to challenge unjust laws. At some point, exactly. you, cannot, you cannot obey this foolishness in line. And I think no. that if, there were, if, there were, if we had mass protests, this would be shut down. People should not right. obey this unjust law. If someone is falling out for whatever reason and you cannot assist them, no, no, I'm not going to be an accessory to murder. I'm not going to do that. No. And then, you know, if I have to, if I have to go to jail, if, I, if you all arrest me, then that's what you do. And, you, and, heaven, and heaven help you. I've got to get some closing thoughts from everybody because I'm not going to be able to do an after show today, but just very, very quickly. Reverend Dr. Yeary, what do you advise us to do? We'll be talking about this next week before leading up to the holiday. Well, for the listeners in Chicago and Minneapolis and St. Paul, if you have friends, family, if you're connected to somebody who has friends or family, uh, encourage them to go to 1-800-1-866-OUR-VOTE. Follow up. Be engaged. Just pay attention to my faith colleagues across the country. Call your your pastors, your imams, your priests, uh, your your rabbis, and encourage them to, to encourage their congregants to get ready to engage in this process because we got to play monopoly by the rules, even though we don't like them. We can't imagine them to be what they're not. We've got to hold this seat and then we can continue to fight to make sure that we fight these repressive and regressive laws across the country. Amen to that. Attorney Daryl Jones, one minute for you. Thank you, Santita. And I, I, I want to bring some clarity to, because uh, I don't want any listener to be, uh, um, not understand uh, with regards to if you receive the ballot and you decide that you don't want to vote by mail, but you want to mm-hmm. vote in person, you should take that ballot to your polling place where you're going to vote. Tell the election judge there that you want to vote in person, that they should spoil the ballot that was mailed to you so that you can vote there in person. Do not vote uh, a provisional ballot if you take your absentee ballot to them to vote. So I want, to, want that to be clear. Additionally, 10 day, remember the 10-day rule. If you have not received your absentee ballot and have 10 days to get it back into the election official, don't mail it. 10 days prior, give it 10 days. That's what we encourage, Santita. Plan your vote. 
and those plans that you put in place. We can do this thing. We'll see you in Georgia. Thanks so much, Santita. And what and what did you say? It's the ten day rule. It's the ten day rule, everybody. Ten day. Reverend Doctor Yeary. Um, well, no, C.K. Hoffler. One minute. Vote, vote. One eight six six. Our vote. Take a picture of everything. If there's anything that is slightly out of it, when you're handing in that ballot that you're not using because you're voting in person, take a picture of you handing it over. Use your phone. Any aberration, mm-hmm. take a picture. But call one eight six six. Our vote. And vote, vote, vote. Hey. Your, your phone will be your very best friend. Film, take photographs, make a record in real time. Because sometimes these judges might not be on your side. Don't tr- trust, trust no one in this process. Trust in the Lord. Work with everybody else. 1-866-HOUR-VOTE. 1-866-HOUR-VOTE. Go to vote.org to find out if you are still on the voter rolls. It's, on Monday, we're going to talk about that. I mean, what happens if in, in this interagnum between now and December 6th, you find out that you've been purged from the rolls? Because I don't put that past them at all, Attorney Jones, Attorney Hoffler, and Reverend Dr. Todd Yuri Esquire. I, I trust nothing. I trust no one. But wait a minute. one 866 vote Vote.org. And what else? Yes. Very quickly. If you discover you've been purged in Georgia, it's likely to happen. So right now, escalate it up. Don't don't wait to the last minute. Do it right now. Mm-hmm. Do it right now. Check, 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 everybody. And let us win this race. We need it. We need it. This is about this is about the people having our needs met. That's really what this is about. I am not partisan in that way. I'm I'm just not. I'm gonna work with the people who are gonna work with me. If you want to end poverty, I'm gonna work with you. If you wanna feed people, clothe the naked, I'm gonna work with you. Right now, the horse I got to ride is the Democratic horse. Right now, the person who I think is going to take care of us in America right now, it's it's Raphael Warnock, not Herschel Walker. I don't think he, I just don't think that. That is not why, that is not why the powers that be want him there. They don't. And I pray that that young man, that brother of my age, gets some help. You shouldn't use him this way. And if you just hear him talk, oh my gosh, it's just a painful experience. But it lets you know that we are in a political moment, everybody.